Well, usually um, I get really excited about preaching sermons at mission trip. Um, I feel like you're too tired to not pay attention, right? But after music like this every night, I, I just really, I really feel like this is just unnecessary. Um, because I feel like, I mean, just standing right here and getting to hear y'all's voices in unison singing is powerful. It's moving. God is in this place. And I feel like we could really just turn it and leave now. Uh, but one, I worked really hard on this and <laughs> if, we're, if we're being real, um, but two, two, um, for months now, for months in preparation for, for this week, um, God has been laying this truth on my heart. Um, he's been speaking it to me and, um, I, I feel led to share it with you. So, um, if you would please humor me, um, as, as we do this, uh, because I think God's got some stuff in store for us, uh, throughout the rest of this week and tonight's a part of that. We're talking about gardens. Now, if I were to tell you that the first night, when you first showed up here, you're all excited. Some of you, it's your first time and you're nervous. And I said, hey, guess what? We're going to be talking about gardens and worship. You're like, oh. Yeah. Year two, and it's already going down the drain. Like, (laughs) this sounds exciting. I could watch HGTV at home. No reason to come to this, right? But we realized after Sunday night that there's much more in store for us than just simply gardening tips. That we understood that Jesus told this parable about this garden that is painting a picture for us of what God's kingdom is intended to be. That when talking about this garden, he's, he's pointing us back to the garden that we read about in the beginning of our scriptures, the Garden of Eden, when God created all things and created them good as they were, as they should be. So Christ is saying, in an effort to get us back to this place, I'm going to talk about a garden. And I'm going to change the way you think about the end of the world. I'm going to change the way you think about God's kingdom when it comes. That it's not the destruction of where we're standing and some castle that we're going to go to in the sky. Instead, it's a rebirth. It's a renewing. It's a growing up of new life here where we stand. That's why we're talking about gardens. We're talking about gardens because we're talking about the kingdom that God had envisioned. Life with life with life. And life that springs up with new life. That's why we're talking about gardens. A kingdom where people are growing and introducing the life-giving power of Jesus. Remember, we talked about God being the sower and, and, and his son, Jesus, his word made flesh being that seed, right? And we talked about our hearts being the soil. And when we grow, I made this offhand comment about fruit being what matters. And why would that be? Well, one, when you see fruit growing on a, on a plant that's supposed to produce fruit, you know that the plant is healthy and doing as it should, right? But secondly, what is contained inside that fruit? More seeds. Pretty soon we see 
hearts that are sprouting out life and producing fruit that is then producing more life-giving power, right? That we find in these seeds. A kingdom where people are growing and they're introducing this life-giving power of Jesus to others who grow up and introduce Jesus to others who grow up and introduce Jesus to others. You see how this happens and how a garden springs up soon from one plant. One plant that grows and produces fruit can produce thousands more. That's the power and the potential contained in this life-giving seed, this, this Jesus that we talk about in church. And that is the influence that a plant has when it's growing in healthy soil. The fruit is what matters. But as Jesus points out in this parable, there are things that get in the way. There are things that steal, that choke, that block out this life-giving power, the potential that this seed has. There are things that get in the way. Tonight, the part of the parable we're going to look at is the seed that falls along the path. We talked about this very generous gardener who indiscriminately throws his seed, his son, his word, his truth, his love, graciously to all. And yet some of it falls on the hardened path. And as you read later on in the scriptures, because everybody's so confused and the disciples are confused, which is a pretty regular thing if you read the gospels that Jesus talks to them and they're supposed to be like in, right? It's Jesus and his posse, right? These 12 guys. And they're supposed to be going around teaching everybody how it is. And more often than not, when Jesus teaches something or does something, the disciples are just as confused as everybody else. And when Jesus begins to explain what the meaning of the parable is, the first thing he mentions is, The seed that falls on the path is stolen by the birds, right? The birds are the evil one stealing the truth of God from the hearts of men and women. (laughs) The seed that falls along the path was stolen by the birds. Moral of the story is birds are evil and stay away from them. (laughs) Amen. See y'all later. We translate this meaning to the path that the seed falls on was so hardened that the truth was devoured before it could touch the soil. The path was so hardened that when the truth fell on it, it could not reach the soil and it was devoured and taken away. Tonight, we're talking about the path. And here's here's what's interesting. So tomorrow we'll talk about the shallow soil and then we'll talk about thorns and then we'll talk about good soil, right? Um, You could probably gather that um, as this has been going. But tonight we're talking about the path. And to me, as I read this, Again, not biblical scholar. I've read the Bible a time or two. Um, but as I read, I notice things. And I notice things that when we talk about each one of these paths, 
the only one to me that seems a purposeful path, like or, or soil, the one the one that is uh, laid with purpose is the path, right? Like thorns and weeds can just grow on their own. They don't need your help, right? Rocks and shallow soil just exist already, but a path is not a naturally occurring thing. A path is purposeful. It's put there. And in my mind, it's put there in one of two ways. The first way is this. It's worn out. Right? Does anybody have a dog that you keep kind of like chained up in the backyard or something? Or even if they just sit in the backyard and they tend to walk in a certain area or run in a certain area all the time? What happens to your grass? It goes away. And this little worn path where your dog runs around in circles appears. Sometimes you can see it in trails in the woods where people walk through the woods, hundreds, thousands of people walking through. And and they walk on the ground so often that it kills any vegetation there and it packs the dirt in to where it becomes hard and nothing really grows there anymore. A path can be worn in to the soil. A path can also be built. We have them all over our city. They're called sidewalks, right? A path can be built. Somebody looked at the ground and said, there's grass here, and I can't walk on that. (laughs) I need somebody to pour concrete all the way down this so that I can walk without my feet touching the grass. That is how it happened, right? Like, I look outside, there's grass on either side of the sidewalk. And somebody thought, grass is not good enough for my feet. I need a sidewalk. I need something that when I fall on it, it's going to scrape me up worse than grass will ever do. But at least it won't stain my jeans. That's what a path is. It's either worn in by people continuing to walk in a specific place, or it is laid down purposefully to cover up the soil so that nothing will grow. That's what paths are. Now, what we have to begin to do, we talked about this last night as part of, part of digging through this parable, is identifying what this means for us. What does it mean for you? And as I begin to think about the condition of my heart, and, and I begin to think about this path, and, and this idea that truth is there and it's taken away, I'm led to two things, and this could mean a multitude of things, but here's the two things that I'm led to. This is what anger and guilt do to us. Anger and guilt. Two things that we do to ourselves, that emotions that we put on ourselves, and emotions that either harden our hearts or cover up our hearts. And again, remember, when I say heart, I'm talking about the center of your being. I'm not talking about the thing that pumps and moves blood through your body. I'm talking about the very center of who you are. Anger and guilt do this to us. Anger, maybe you've been walked on, walked all over, and it hardens your heart. It creates this callous. It creates distrust. Guilt, something you've done or that you've perceived that you've even done. 
that makes you feel like you're not good enough, that feels like the person inside of you can't be seen by others, shouldn't be seen by others, and so we cover it up because we want nobody to see it. I'm going to talk about anger first. Anger hardens. I want everybody to lift your hands up like this, and I want you to clench your fists as tightly as you can. This is anger. Somebody has done something to you, right? Something has done something to you. Somebody has done something to you and you hate them. And you take whatever it is that they did and you squeeze it in your hand because I will never let go of this. I will never let you forget that this exists. I have this now. This is where my power comes from because I can let you know anytime that this is what you did to me. Anger hardens. But here's the problem. Anger makes you susceptible to lies. A hardened heart makes you susceptible to lies. Because any truth that comes in, it's so hard, you can't receive it. It just bounces off these fists, right? You have a hardened path that's been worn and this, the truth just bounces off of it. You buy into this lie that you already know the truth. It's right here. You're an awful person. Look what happened. You buy into this lie that you already know the truth about everyone and everything else. You, there's nothing else you need to know because I have this right here. And now you owe me something. You owe me something. If you want me to open my hands again, you have to give it to me. You have to make this right. Or I can't. I can't let go of this. Something that hurt you so bad that you can no longer trust that person or that thing again. And you can't get past whatever it is that happened. You've probably heard some of these sayings before, right? I'll never trust another guy again. I've seen your tweets. (laughs) Hashtag oomph sucks. You know, like, I've seen them, right? I'll never trust another another guy again because they fill in the blank, right? All girls are blank. You're talking way too much. (laughs) Every Christian I've ever known is such a blank. Why is my family always? God is nothing but a Because this one time, or these two times, or because sometimes, and now I have it, anger hardens. It tells you a lie that you're owed something, and that if you can just get that one thing, that you'll finally stop being angry. But that's not the truth. What happens is, is that anger holds you captive. My hands are closed. I can't do anything with these hands anymore. Because they're closed. Anger hardens. 
and nothing can grow there. The truth is that the debt can never be fully paid to you. So you just keep getting angrier and angrier and angrier and your heart gets harder and harder and harder. And that seed keeps falling there and never touching the soil. Anger hardens. Guilt hides. This is what guilt does to us. It hides, right? A hidden heart is shielded from the truth, right? Guilt hides. There's something in you that says, I'm not quite good enough, that I'm not sure I can be loved. Not simply by somebody who may be a spouse one day, but I'm not sure I can be truly loved by friends and forget about God. God's so perfect and holy, how could he love me? Why can't I stop being so... If I could just start doing that... Guilt hides us. And when we feel guilty, when there's something in us that says not, that we're not good enough, we begin to build these characters, right? We build these personas. Because whoever it is that we actually are is no good. So we have to build this. We often build these personas, these, fa- these facades up, right? To show everybody else. This is me. Pay no attention to this man over here. This is me. And because we feel so guilty, because we don't like who we truly are, we cover ourselves up, we hide, we barricade ourselves, we don't let our true selves out. Anytime we talk to people or we feel like we're about to start opening up and having real talk, like I, I get nervous because I can't, I can't really let me out. Because if they were just to find out who me is, They wouldn't be here anymore. I mean, if God truly knew me, I don't think I would be allowed in this place. Guilt hides. And both of these things, anger and guilt, take a toll, a huge toll on our relationships. On our human-to-human relationships, on our human-to-God relationships takes a major toll because true relationship, true relationship is about knowing and being known. True relationship is about knowing and being known. But a hard heart says, I already know what I need to know. I don't need to know anymore. It closes us off. It makes us hard. We can't start these new relationships because I don't need to know anything more. I just know. All guys suck. All girls are terrible. And if I start a relationship with one of them, I go into this already angry. And I don't even know this person. Anytime I have a conversation with one of my siblings or or my parents, I'm already angry because they always, I'm hardened. 
I'm not open. I'm hard. A hard heart already knows all they need to know. And when true relationships are about knowing others, but you're not willing to start knowing, how can you form true relationships? And if true relationships are about knowing and being known, guilt, this terrifies guilt. Guilt has, does not want to be known. Guilt wants to hide as far deep inside of you as possible. The real you wants to just hide in there. I don't want anybody to really know me. How do I create a, relation, a meaningful relationship with somebody? If I don't want them to really know who I am, because I'm terrified if they got to know the real me, they would run away. Guilt is incapable of being known because its goal is to hide, to be covered up, to be unnoticed. Both of these things take a major toll on our relationships. But here's, here's the good news for us, is that exposure heals. Exposure heals. When I have a path that's been walked too many times, when I've been walked all over and I'm angry and I don't know how to let it go, forgiveness softens the hardened heart. Forgiveness takes that path that's been worn and begins to till the soil, begins to break it up, begins to loosen it and soften it and bring that good soil back to the surface. Forgiveness is is releasing that person of that debt, that thing that you hold, not because they said, I'm sorry, not because they made it right, but because you know that you can't do anything with this. Because let's get real. Any of you in this room that have this, right? You know, and if you do, you know what I'm talking about. You have this right here. Just think about it in your head for just a minute. What is it that's going to make you do this? Okay, we're square. More often than not, whatever it is we think it is that's going to release that, we'll get it. They'll say they're sorry, and yet, I'm still mad. I'm still angry. That didn't fix anything. Whatever debt it is, we think that we're owed. Even when that debt is paid, I'm pretty sure we don't feel release. But forgiveness just releases them of that debt no matter if it's paid and paid or not. I mean, that sounds pretty familiar to me when we talk about grace, right? And the, and the debt that Christ released us from, right? That even though we didn't deserve it. But this is true for us, that when we begin to release, when we forgive, it softens the hardened heart. It's freeing yourself from constantly feeling like there's something you need to collect from somebody else something that you're owed that you need to get back. It frees you of that and allows you to move on. Here's the second thing is that confession uncovers the hidden heart. Confession uncovers the hidden heart. Now for our our Catholic friends in here, that could mean that we go into the booth where we talk to somebody about all the bad things we did. It could mean that in your, tw- in your quiet time with God, that you're, 
that you're, you're writing or you're, you're praying and you're speaking, God, I've been hiding the true me. This is me right here. Now I'm just, I'm opening it up. This is me. And I want you to forgive me. I don't, I don't want this. And I know this happened, but I'm not going to let this define who I am. I'm not going to let this thing in the past make me who I'm going to be in the future, right? I'm going to move on. I'm a new person because you said I'm a new person. It exposes us to the truth that grace means that you are loved no matter what. And that it says in our scriptures that Christ died for us while we were sinners. He wasn't waiting outside Rome, waiting for everybody to get perfect. I want everybody to be perfect real quick and then I will go die for you. No. He died for every person as they were while they were still sinners. Confession uncovers the hidden heart and forgiveness softens the hardened heart. But it's not easy. I mean, this is really easy to talk about. Just forgive, right? And and just confess all the things that you did. But we all know for those of us that have been angry, for those of us that have feel, felt guilty in our lives, that it's not as simple as just letting those things go. That sometimes it takes time. That when we have this path that has experienced seed being thrown at it and it nothing gets through, that we know that we have to start to work at this, that it takes time, that it takes effort, that it takes perseverance to break through the hardness, to break through that which we have used to cover up who we really are and swing after swing, we begin to break those things that have covered us up. And pretty soon, soil gets exposed. And that place where there once was a path, there are now cracks in that path. And that seed gets to touch soil again. And when that seed begins to touch soil again, it begins to grow some roots. And pretty soon, and I know you've seen this in the cracks in the sidewalks where life begins to sprout out again, in a place where life was supposed to be covered up and never seen again, all of a sudden, amidst all the gray concrete, there's green. And that life springs back up. But it takes time. And it takes effort. It takes work. But as soon as we expose that soil, as soon as we begin begin to expose our hearts, we confess those things that we feel like we have to hide. When we begin to expose our hearts and, and let go, open back up, release that anger that we've had. That fertile soil is back and life begins to grow again in you.
So if you, if this is you, if tonight you're sitting here thinking, you know what, that's me. This is, I, I identify with this. Not all of you do. Some of you aren't angry people. Some of you don't feel guilty. And that's wonderful. That's perfect. But some of you do identify with this. Some of you, the path is the part of the parable that you identify with. And my prayer for you is that whatever it is, whether it's anger, whether it's guilt, that we begin to learn how to soften that. We begin to identify those things. What is it that's making me feel so guilty? What is it that's making me so angry? And begin our practice of confessing. Begin our our practice of forgiving. Begin that hard work of, of breaking apart that which has kept us from Christ, that has kept us from life. That's my prayer for y'all. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to give you about two minutes or so to, if you have your book with you, um, you can write in your book, you can journal a little bit. If you didn't bring it with you, you can take your notes on your iPhone, or you just want to spend that time in prayer. This time is for you to reflect how God is speaking to you tonight, whether through song, through his word. This is your time, but let me pray for us first. Gracious God, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for this first day of work, God, where we poured ourselves out physically. God, we gave of ourselves. We sacrificed our blood and our sweat and our comfort outside for people we don't even know. But we do it because we love you, God. And because you love us, we love them. And we hope that in that time, God, that we are able to, through our service, God, that we're able to point people to you. Tonight, specifically, God, we have people in this room that are dealing with anger. Their hearts have been hardened because something that has happened to them, something that's been done to him, to them, several things that have happened or been done, they just can't seem to catch a break, God, and they're just angry. And often they're angry with you. God, we want to begin the hard work tonight of breaking apart that hardened ground, to loosen up that soil. God, we want to expose our hearts to your love and truth. God, some of this room are feeling guilty. We feel like we can't be loved. We don't deserve love. And you've proven it time and time again, God. The ultimate proof of your son coming to live and die for us. God, that's not true. Your grace says that we're worth it. God, we want to claim that truth. No longer do we want to cling to the lie, God, that we can't be loved by you, we can't be loved by others, God. You created us beautiful and wonderful and complex, God. We want to begin loving who we are because you love us. We want to begin to understand that you love us, God, so much and and expose our hearts to that love, God. To expose those deepest parts of us that we're scared for anybody to see, God. Expose that to your truth, your love, and your grace so that soil, God, can accept that truth and begin to sprout new life again. And for those of us in this room, God, that don't identify with either one of these, God, we know somebody who is. 
May we be that truth and that life to them, God. May we be part of that forgiving process, God, and and, and working with them through that, God. May we be part of showing them love when they feel like they don't deserve it. We thank you for this, God, your presence in this place and the truth that you have for us. And we spend this time now, God, reflecting on you and your love and mercy. Amen.